Welcome to the Business of Buildings podcast, where passionate professionals in the building industry share knowledge and perspectives to inspire positive change in the places we live. In this episode, Elizabeth Bazan and Dan Ellis-Jones of the WA Building Commission are here to share some insights and highlights of proposed reforms to the approval process for commercial buildings in Western Australia. Let's listen in. There's a lot of great information in it. Yeah. Um, And I found when I'm on the phone talking to other colleagues in the industry, we're we're triggering the same things over and over again. Mm. Architects, builders, engineers, surveyors. So it's, and it's, even when I read through this, it gives me a bit of peace of mind knowing that I'm not the only one realizing there's lots of significant issues. So as a collective, we can make a difference by voicing up, right? Yeah. And obviously we talked a couple of weeks ago and everyone needs to be mindful that these types of regulations do take time to get through the system. There's political elements that hold these changes back. And I think we talked about a lot of these issues we're experiencing now happened not entirely, because I I can give examples from 2012 from the changes that were implemented then. It's not just political elements that cause it to take a long time. I mean, I've I've heard from some of the industry organisations we're consulting with that the WA government is one of the better ones at consulting with industry. I mean, the, the consultation period for this paper was six months. Yep. And to April. that that was extended because of the pandemic. It was supposed to be only three months. I saw that in the but document up to April, right? All of our mm-hmm. consultation yeah. periods are at least three months. So when does it close? It's closed now. It's already that, closed. That one closed. That one closed, in, okay. Oh, At the end of June, yeah, there's an engineer's registration paper. It's I just saw right that. now. Yeah. Well, in going through the overview of reforms, there are a lot of things to consider in this. It is well thought yes. out. And these things do take time to digest and implement. Mm. So I agree with you. Yes. This is not a quick fix. No. It needs to take time. And, mm. and the other it, thing it, is it mm. is a lot of individual reforms that will work together to improve the the industry and the culture. Yeah. There is no single thing that we can do to improve it. We, we asked a few of our stakeholders if they had a priority of things that we could do, try and do sooner to improve things and then over a, a longer term implement the rest. And, so how long and they, they have universally said that, no, it's a package suite. You have to do it all together. How long ago did this process start? Like when was it triggered? Like there's an issue. We need reforms. And you're both involved in the beginning drafted this yeah yes this is like two three years ago so it might be worth um you know there's it was potential people have we've been working on this so much we think you know it's we assume a lot of knowledge yes so just to give you basics so um after some um building issues obviously with um over in melbourne the grenfell fire tragedy um, Opal and, Tower. and Opal Tower and all Same. that. So um, the um, Building Ministers Forum engaged um, two experts, so Professor Shergold and Bronwyn Weir, yep. to go and look at the building approvals process in Australia and to come back with recommendations from the... And they had, they, they, um, they had, this is... I haven't um, got it with me, but um, they came out with a, um, a report that had 26 recommendations? 24. 24 recommendations, mm-hmm. right. So the uh, Building Ministers Forum sent 
um, this information through to the ABCB and through um, the other jurisdictions across the government, you know, state governments and stuff. Yeah. Um, and um, we've all been looking at the recommendations within that in the best way possible. Now that's gone through. That was about. 2017. 2017. Yeah, it's been it's been mm. three or four years. Two, sorry, two or three years now. All right. And um, and it's gone through different sort of phases. We've been working on this consultation regular regulatory impact statement for a while. And since two Christmases ago. Yes, yeah, two Christmases ago. <laughs> oh. So um, and of course it's now. It's, so we're actually as far as the policy process is concerned, we're actually about halfway through, mm-hmm. which is pretty good. Yeah, uh, honestly, <laughs> for a year good. and a half. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty good. Yeah, uh, particularly with such a large amount of reform and a uh, pandemic and a pandemic. Well, that was, yeah. put a, a spanner in the works, didn't it? Yeah, it yeah. Slows, the, just a bit. Slows things yeah. down. Um, but I think it's an opportunity to look at rebuilding the, everything in this world right now. So it's a, it's actually good timing. It is to good get timing, people to yeah. rethink how things are done. Yeah, start from scratch and rebuild and work. A rebuild is a for our industry. <laughs> yeah, indeed, rebuild. Yeah. So everyone's going to get a link to this so they can get some input. And in, in a few minutes, I just want to scan through. I've got some just highlight notes mm-hmm. that I want to, we can talk through to get people familiar with it. Yeah. But what's what are the next steps beyond, like we'll go through that in a minute. What are your next steps in trying to get policies implemented? Our next steps, currently we have several hundred pages of written feedback that we are working through. We are going back to meet with some of our stakeholders to talk through their comments and drill down for a bit more information. Okay. We will then put that feedback and analysis together with the the original proposals. We will reform the original proposals in light of the feedback and come up with better proposals. Will there be a round two opportunity for feedback as well? Yes, there will. Okay, so, so this is good to preempt everyone so they're ready for the next. So, yeah. yes. That's good. Um, the, the second stage will be after we analyze all the feedback, we will write up a decision RIS. So that will then go out to an external consultant for a full cost-benefit analysis. Oh, yeah. It will then go out for public comment for a slightly shorter period, possibly as, as short as one month. <laughs> <laughs> shorter, Okay. And um, then we will again analyze feedback, feed that back into the the reform proposals. Okay. And then the whole lot will be submitted to Cabinet for government's consideration. There's reference in here to McGowan and WA government trying, that he's been involved in this from the beginning, trying to push through reforms. Yes. 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 The the other thing to note that that does affect our timeframes is there will be an election early next year so the government will go into caretaker mode for a, a period before the election yeah and then so. okay even if there isn't a full change of government there will be some changes we could end up with a different minister oh, okay so they just decide what they want at that point so yes the yeah. the any any um proposals that we will put to government will end up going to a different government one way or another yeah yeah so things will stall until then. Yes. I know not to bring up the U.S., but from the econ- um, economic situation here, I still remember in 2016 just everything hitting a wall right before the U.S. election. That kind of is happening right now. Yes. Everyone's just t- kind of taking a pause. Mm-hmm. So we'll have a year of that in WA with this future election and COVID, which is a good pause, a good time to take a breath and get feedback. What type, Just a quick question. like What, t- what um, different disciplines have you received feedback from? 
you know, obviously fire, building surveyors. Mm-hmm. Building surveyors, builders. builders, architects, engineers. Yeah. Um, consultants, consultants generally. Yeah. Okay. So you have had a good mix of backgrounds yes. on, yeah. on yes. these projects. Yeah. yeah. And have you noticed a theme in everyone's feedback? What's a bit of a, a theme you know, based uh, on their own interests? It's not really been a, a sort of an, a, an out and out theme. Um, I think generally everyone is. I mean, in my, agreement a theme that, of frustration is what I get. With yeah, people I think. I I mean, yeah, <laughs> I think there, there, is, there is an overall um, ex, um, acceptance that things need to change. That yeah. there are cultural issues out there. And That's a big one. There is no silver bullet. There is no silver bullet, but no. I think, and, and generally, I think almost universally, really, the stakeholder comments have been deflated. Is another word that comes to mind. <laughs> so yeah. I've given up. Yeah, well, we're trying to make sure that doesn't happen. But um, yeah, yeah, they're supportive of of reform in some way or other, but they want a, a, a significant portion would. So we want reform, but it needs to be the right reform and it needs to be designed properly. Yeah. Now, depending on your perspective, where you're from, what your experience is, you have different ideas of how it should be designed. And the complexity of our job is to come up with a design, um, to come up with, certainly come up with the, the, the correct policy yeah. um, and then come up with the correct design that will work for as many people as possible. And that's not an easy thing to do because... They've all got different. When you drill down into the detail, it becomes very complicated. You've highlighted, like you've triggered yes. a couple of key ones in here: code of conduct, conflicts of interest. These all really create a culture, right? Yeah, that, yes. they're all part of that. Because how do you redefine a culture in an industry without it? It takes a number of different facets to make that change. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's sort of one of the good things yeah. about how because this is so broad. Um, if we can bring it in as a suite of changes, then hopefully there will be like a. A, a sort of bow wave of of change through the industry yeah. over a you know not immediately but through time um, that will improve buildings um, and you know the efficiency of the building industry and the effectiveness of the industry and and us to, I mean from what you said you know yeah. the actual enjoyment of working in the building industry as yeah because well. I, I enjoy the work I enjoy the design but all the yeah. peripheral stuff is very deflating and, as yeah. well. And like I said, any other industry, there's always uh, incentive to innovate and offer a greater value. But this industry is not set up to to do that. So it's like a downward spiral. But why why put the extra effort in if there's no benefit? Not not just to say financially profit wise, but you know career um, fulfillment. You know, yeah. there needs to be that level of incentive to change the culture. And I think it's fairly simple. Like we we know the the builders control not the builders aren't controlling the market, but they are in the lead of the market right now where all the professionals are kind of following their lead based on the way that contracts are engaged that DNC which we talked about that virus that's out there mm. that's the real virus the d- dumb and dumb and cheap is what I call it um, because it's, it just flips the level of professionalism the builder is in control I had a, our, um, I told you about that church project I backed out of mm-hmm. two weeks ago and I met yeah. with the director and I told him look your, your role here is to build you're not here to play design lead Mm. And he still, he wouldn't, it wouldn't sink in. He kept saying, no, we have our consultants. I said, no, you're actually controlling them. You're telling them what you want to happen. And then the client is, you're giving the client what they want for as well. So they're kind of being taken advantage of. So they need to kind of be put back into their role as builder. And then the professions need to lead. The architects, the surveyors, the engineers. That's where the qualification, that's why we get qualified. And that's why we have that duty of care. Yeah. As 
which is that other policy that potentially is coming in for registered engineers. Duty of care ties you into that. Yeah. Right. And right now that's missing. I suppose from our perspective, everything boils down to compliance and compliance with the code, the National Construction Code. Yeah. And so if a if a client or a builder is creating a building and it's it's all about the client, what the client wants, there is a point where you've actually got to go, well, the client can't have that if that is not compliant with the building code. That's brilliant. And, it, yeah. and, and so, so it, it's not... I mean, you obviously, as a, as any business, you want to make the client ha- happy. Yeah. But yeah. there are fundamentals that you can't go against because you have a, a duty a of care, a duty of care, and yeah. you have a floor of compliance that you must meet. Yeah. I always say our duty is to the public, not to the client. Mm. Um, and you play that line of, and I had this happen. There was a kitchen job up north in Karath, and the architect's asking for. I pretty much had to say, look, I can foresee that she has a budget here. She has a performance requirement. We have to comply. And they say, what about this? What about that? I said, well, no, you can't do that. That is not an option. Mm. So you have to be firm and stay, state your ground and be respected for your feedback. But a lot of times we get that, oh, you're just making that up or just, just make it work. But being held, account- being held accountable as a professional also given respect, they need to go together. Because mm. yeah. a lot of times it's just like trying to justify if you play that line of holding to your values. Mm. Um, just to keep the client happy to get your invoices paid, which is not the position we want to be in. Mm. Sometimes, like what you guys are doing as well, is great, but the the private sector really needs to kind of take the lead as well and not be told what to do. They should feel like they they want to do it the right way. That would and be these, nice. Yeah, and then you're not having to work so hard. And <laughs> if everyone was doing the right body. thing, we'd be redundant. Yeah, <laughs> well, not redundant. We'd go and retire somewhere warm and sunny. <laughs> oh wait. <laughs> You always need someone overseeing, right? Yes. Yeah. Like my kids, they're they're smart, they're mature, but I still have to be the parent to kind of guide them. Mm. That's human nature. We have we need that oversight. Mm. Um, just going through my notes. So if we just kind of again, I just there's how many proposals here? We have 20, 28. 28 yeah. Just kind of scan through. So we have proposals for reform, regulators' powers. Uh, require that buildings must comply. It's on page yeah. 19. Yeah. Uh, to be an applicable standard for class two to nine, empower building commissioner to prescribe standards. That's you guys. Amend building commissioner's rights of entry and inspection. That's a key one. I talked to someone about that the other day. Regulators power to remedy dangerous situations. Uh, do you want to talk through that one a, a bit? Commissioner's right of entry and in independent inspection. Yes. So that, that, is that suggesting that you'd have the right to go and access and do independent audits at any time and given free access? And currently we don't have that available or they make it difficult to do so? Um, right now, we we have the right to inspect any construction site, but the, the inspector needs to obtain consent from the site occupier, ah. which is usually the builder. So basically the regulator needs the builder's permission to to regulate oh, interesting. the site. That's not ideal. And where consent is refused, then we can get a, an entry warrant similar to the police. Sure. And when you compare it to police work, then yes, an entry warrant is warranted for the police. They are potentially entering occupied buildings, whereas 
the building commissioner is inspecting construction work, which is a, a bit different. Yeah. And under the previous Act and regulations, it was actually an offence to impede an inspector. The inspectors had, had the right to enter any construction site and it was an offence to impede them oh, in their changed. work. And that changed when we went to the new Act. Oh, yeah. And it is actually a, a recommendation under the national model that's being developed that all regulators should have the power to enter any construction site. That's how I was talking to someone from the UK. That's how it's set up there, mm. where they can come in and inspect yes. any time. Yes. There is oversight. Mm. And that yeah. was for most of the time here as well, up until 2012. Mm. <laughs> up until 2012. Why, for, an occupied, for an occupied building, yes, it is, it is different yeah. and you need the, the owner's or the occupier's consent. But for a construction site to inspect construction work, um, the, the national model is recommending unfettered power of entry. Yeah. As you should, which, if you Nobody think- is quite sure why it's changed, but their best guess is um, Conservative Parliamentary Council drafted uh, yeah. it that way. Mm. So builders are all, they, they structure their contracts and subcontracts to prevent, to mitigate risk. So you would think having oversight or someone else looking, that actually is assisting in reducing risk on the job. Mm. So there should yeah. be no reason to think that's a hindrance as opposed to just leave us alone, yes. let us build. Mm. We don't want you to see what's over there. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, so long as you manage the OK health and safety risk of people entering construction sites, then the the permission to enter should be less of an issue. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. You happy with that one? So yep. Fire authority consultation. So fire engineering performance solutions. Um, fire engineer commissioner's advice may be given early. Prescribed information to include in response to fire engineering. What's FES? Fire engineering. Fire and emergency services. Emergency services commissioner's advice. Yes. Fire grade, basically. Yeah. So Section 7.2 goes in more detail on that, but what's the high-level theme of that that potential change? Fire authority, like visa consultation, is that what that means? Yes. Yeah. So currently and, and always, commercial buildings, so Class 2 to 9, if they are of a certain size and a certain class, they have the plans have to be submitted to DFIS. For their for their comment on the the fire pr- safety provisions, so yeah. hydrants, pumps, tanks, the the bits that that DFIS will be using in the event of a fire. Yeah, and that has always been the case in in the current act. Plan it requires that plans must be submitted fifteen days before the before the certificate of design compliance is signed. Mm. So that gives DFIS 15 working days, three weeks to comment. In reality, if you are doing a large building with lots of performance solutions, you should be consulting with DFIS much earlier than that. Mm. And part of that is a communication issue. I think possibly DFIS haven't educated all of the industry as to what they can what they can offer what services they provide we have also had um, feedback from people in the industry that it, 
they can, if they do consult early with DFIS, they don't always get the same person to talk to. They can talk to three different people who give them three different opinions on their design. Mm -hmm. And that's understandably difficult for them to work through those three different opinions. Yeah. So I think there, there is definitely scope for DFIS to tighten up their, their um, building advice section. That's a fair point. That's, that's a point I had. Um, resources and skills here, mm. you know. In an ideal world, there would be so much competition and great skills. And I do know with Visa, they do always get a backlog. Yes. You know, so that's just a thing where there's not enough to go around. How, mm. do, you, how do they get more resources? How yes. do they fund for that? And part of the issue is that all of the people working in their building section are also firefighters. So during bushfire season, they're short-staffed because all of their staff get sent out to fight bushfires. Oh, yeah. Yeah, interesting. And any alternate solutions, as a consultant, you want to make sure they're aware of it because they're going to say, I'll take it back. Mm. It sets the whole project team back quite a bit. Mm. Yeah. I remember 10 years ago, FISA, we used to have to get... Um, the design documents for all services had to be more detailed to go into FISA as well, mm. including MEC and life safe, smoke safety systems. Yes. But now it's rare, rare to get that request. Yes. It's the fire engineering brief, which is not enough, I don't think. Even electrical documentation with smoke detection, even if they do ask it, it always seems to be rushed. And yes. they, say, they say, oh, we don't need that much information on the drawings. That's kind of been the theme, just to get it and tick the box which shouldn't be the case, right, when it comes to life safety? Well, DFIS have actually released operational requirements just recently. Okay. On their website, they they have uploaded about 10 different Mm. documents outlining their operational requirements against all of the building code. Next one. Building surveyors must be independent of anyone whose work they... I'm, I'm a big proponent of this one, conflicts of interest. Yes. You know, right now... When we went private, and I've seen this happen, and I, I can give examples, I won't right now, but the surveyor is engaged directly by the client or the builder. So it's one man bands, two men, they have 40 grand insurances to cover. They're competing with other surveyors on, on a diminishing fee market. So it's not a great position to be a surveyor when you're getting paid by the client who's wanting things to happen. And that surveyor needs to get paid. So that that is a big one. Yes. It's, Seven, three, what is the... It's our biggest headache at the moment. Is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trying to, to nut out but that, there, what that, boundaries we can put around the building surveyor's engagement and disengagement potentially is... Oh, yeah, yeah. Because what they experience, they're running, obviously, they're responsible for the entirety of it, but all the engineers and architects, are all there's, there's a similar theme underneath pervading everyone. There's always that conflict. Like I said earlier... What are you willing to, to accept? Where's your value line? Because you need to get paid, otherwise you shut your doors. And that's, yeah. not, that's not how it should be. All right, so we talked about conflicts of interest, code of conduct for surveyors, that relates to that as well. Yeah. Yes. Um, building supervisory power for building surveyors. Sorry. Building surveyors Sorry. contract must extend until, we just mentioned that. Building surveyors must be paid for work done. Is that not, a, I mean, that's an interesting one. I, I didn't even, I saw that this morning. Mm. That that would be happening. Or, you know, don't give us, they don't give us our certification, you don't get paid. That's been feedback you've been given? Yeah. For the client to pay their, to get their invoices covered? We heard, we, we, we heard different anecdotal 
Um, I mean, I'm not surprised. Um, and there are, you know, there's, there's, there are issues of, you know, building surveyor shopping. Um, we heard instances where um, building surveyors would go on site, mm. find compliance issues, go tell people or tell the builder or um, on site that they need to do X, Y, and Z. And by the time they got back to their office, they'd been. Um, I've heard this as well. Up, they up find up. someone that will give them the answer. Yeah, and so yeah. we. Um, uh, and so we heard that they weren't getting paid for their non you know, saying you're non-compliant. Yeah. Um, almost like you only get paid if you say we're compliant yeah. kind of idea. It's uh, a bit... Um, which is a bit, well, completely... A bit mafia. Yeah, not great. <laughs> uh, so, um, so we... I mean, again, I'm not saying that's rampant in the building industry, but um, even if it is happening in, in 2% of cases, we need to make sure that, that it can't happen. Well, otherwise it will grow. It becomes a, a understood thing. Yeah. It does happen. Yeah, I mean, I, mm. I, I, we couldn't, you know, we don't have any idea of what kind of extent that's happening. I've heard that from a few. I mean, not in specifics, but it, yeah, I've heard that from years ago. It doesn't start taking off. No, no, definitely not. I mean, I told you, I, I have that worry on some jobs where I think, I have, this is this, it's not good information for them, but... I'm like, oh, geez, I just need to get that invoice cleared to keep things going. Well, yeah. Absolutely. And it shouldn't be about, we keep bringing it up, it shouldn't be about the money. We should be able to have an opportunity to do our jobs without being hindered by it. Yeah, and I mean, right and, you know, building surveyors, but also, you know, also other um, building professionals, you know, they're having significant issues with um, PI insurance and mm. all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, you, it's really important that the, the money flows through where it needs to flow through. Two, um, yeah, and um, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty vital. Otherwise, the whole thing starts to fall apart. Yeah, correct, definitely. Uh, we're almost through. I just want to get through these summary points: yeah. code of conduct, supervisory, building documentation, <clears throat> supporting documents must demonstrate how design meets requirements. Ah, well, here's one for you because we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. That church project, I won't name it, but that my subcontractor friend told me that someone in that room was stating how we don't need mechanical drawings. We just need a reference on the architectural drawing stating we will comply with NCC. And I'm just shaking my head. And that I've, I've seen that a few times. Mm. So that is happening. We don't need those drawings. We don't need documentation to prove it. But that puts the surveyor at risk. Yes, it puts everybody at risk. If there's no proof of that, then he actually is fully liable. He or Mm. she is liable for missing information. So what changes are we looking at here. Supporting documents must state author's name and registration number for surveying, right? Mm-hmm. Supporting documents must include prescribed information, correct? Yep. It needs to translate and prove that it's compliant with CDC, well, with um, NCC. Yes. Yeah. And the compliant and the relevant standards. Mm-hmm. Building notice of completion are not required for class two to nine. Yeah, that... What does that mean? We will amend the notice of completion. Well, I say that won't we will, we will advise the government yeah. that the notice of completion... Um, should stay and be yeah, um, revised to say a few different things. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, I mean, it's worth mentioning that obviously all of this stuff is, you know, subject to the political of nation. So, but by making people aware and letting the public know and letting other professionals, you know, change will still happen. So it's important to get it out, regardless of what happens with the election. Yeah, because then whoever is vying for votes are going to be attracted to the right path. Right, they'll, they'll, you should, you should hope so. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. This is a key. I remember a job a few years back where it was a job in South Perth 
It did have an atrium stair smoke pressurization requirement because of the 60 meter. It had a smoke control requirement to it. Mm-hmm. So, and um, I, I was asking the survey, do you need us to go down final, do a final sign off? Do you need our final letter? And they said, no, it's all done. I'm like, whoa, what's, that's a bit of, this is a more of a complex project. Mm-hmm. They don't, they didn't need anything from us. And I called and I said, do you need this from me? I said, no. And it's a reputable surveyor company as well. And that just kind of opened my eyes. That was three years ago. Okay, yeah. Which, I don't know. Performance solutions documentation. Yeah, there's a lot of alternate fire engineering solutions in the last 10 years. Again, creative engineering at times. Some good solutions. But on this point, I wrote some notes earlier. Because fire life safety, and that's a key requirement and responsibility for all professionals on a job. You know, there's... And as a mechanical engineer, I'll put solutions together that are relating to 1668 smoke control. And some that I deal with don't actually understand what we're offering, which is a bit scary. And it used to be that a fire engineer would understand the mechanical side of it, Mm. much like the mechanical engineer is responsible to understand some element of the fire engineering. Same as the architect. Um, there, There is a skill gap there across all disciplines. I'll just make that very clear uh, yeah, life safety is a responsibility of everyone mm. performance solutions retrospective approval yeah what's your thoughts on that mandatory documentation to assess and approve performance solutions in completed buildings how would that work so that's where the there's a variation to the design during construction and it's not documented fully at the time. They yeah. build it as the variation. They go back later and, oh, it doesn't meet DTS. It's a performance solution. Ah, uh, yep. I agree with that. Yeah, variations so. usually instructed and then documentation is not updated. Yes. And then it just gets lost and there's no paper trail. That's a yes. very good one. That's brilliant. And then, yeah, variations during construction keep documentation up to date. That's a very good point. Third-party review of design. Engineers Australia has been looking at this as well. Mm-hmm. Mandatory yes. independent peer review of high-risk engineering design work. So it's similar to the independent, well, the conflict with the client and the surveyor's payment, who's going to pay for third-party review? Who's, what's the, the thought there? Third-party review is another tricky one. We were expecting that we could, <laughs> we would be able to drop it, but it actually garnered quite a lot of support during the public consultation process. Okay. So we are we are still debating that one. Uh, again, to, you don't necessarily agree with it. No, it's not that. It's just it's very difficult to implement. The main issue is the dispute resolution just, issue yeah, where, yeah. where the third-party reviewer disagrees with the initial designer. Who has, who has the funds say, how is there a, you know, mm. if, they, if they don't agree, where do they go to get it? Some government jobs run this way. Uh, there's two. Yeah. I remember a couple. One is, was it Busselton Hospital? There was a third party. Uh, it just beca- it becomes contentious. Yes. It, it really slows things down. It becomes more bureaucracy, more political maneuvering than anything yes and then and it's also the timing with the peer review a lot of times I've seen them they come in late in the piece as opposed to being involved early through so Mm -hmm. a lot of their input may or may not be off the mark because they weren't involved to know the full background Mm -hmm. which they shouldn't yes they shouldn't be obligated to understand the whole story 
And I think it's adding another engine. I could go either way on this. I, could, I think adding hmm. another engineer in the mix, more cost. No, I mean this. I had this thought because I have it um, in any any project, anything that you do personally, professionally. What's the key thing that you need in order to do your job properly? Time. Yeah. That's and that's something that I constantly like. I don't know what it is. It's because of technology now, and it's not just our industry. It's many industries. Mm-hmm. So everyone's expected to do more for less time. Yeah. You got your computer. But it's, it's just gone, in, gone nuts lately. I just have to laugh at it half the time. You know, where you just give us a couple of days here, and then the fee's been sitting out for a couple of months, but we can do it in a hurry. It doesn't matter how good you are. You're, there's going to be compromise if you compress the time frame. But if there's a way to, in policy... Which again, this is not easily done. It's just I'm just brainstorming. It's a ten million dollar project. There's a scale to it or a risk. The design time frame. They should be able to put a metric to how much time is suitable for that. You know, I've got a job where we did forty million dollar office building. It was eight weeks to get that designed up. And the architect was planning it for two years, and we we're like cramming in a room for two months wow. to get this job up. That happens all the time. It's just, and I don't know what it. I don't think it has anything to do with, it's not like a, it's never done on purpose. Mm. Um, it's literally just not understanding that things do take time and effort to come up with good solutions, to leave time to communicate. If I'm going to rush myself, well, I can yes. come up, it's just not the way to do it. It needs time to germinate, is my point. Yeah. If there's a way to say, look, you got that job in, you, you, you lodge, you got building permit. I know you want to rush it now, but you need three months. We're only going to allow you to submit CDC at that time. So you have plenty of time to get your team right. That would that would solve a lot of problems. Yeah. Uh, policy, Hard to implement, though. Poli- yeah, policy legislation-wise, it's difficult. We do find it difficult to um, get into the realm of, of what happens in the design stage before you start to get into the approval stage because we... You know, we regulate the approvals process. We don't regulate the design process. I know that's not. You shouldn't have and to. We, we should, that's not your responsibility. No, completely, and we wouldn't. I suspect want to go there at all. Anyway. No, no, so, no. Um, but the developers, those that are running the job, they should know that that's a value, and that's actually going to reduce their risk, give them a better solution, lower their. Yeah, I don't know who can get that out there to them. That that's in their benefit to do so. Just give us a bit more time. That's it. And then I always say that seeding, that, that team that you've established, the culture of that, it starts from day one, right? And that's, that's where the culture can change when we're given time and respect and, and the team is actually working well together. Because that then, in every project I've seen on the construction set stage, it's a mirror of what the design team feeling was. Yeah. The culture of that team, which is small, it's low risk. Mm. That, that's where major change can happen. Jumping around, I know you have notes. I'll let you go on in a second. Who's governing project managers in this industry? Is there any right now? Nobody. Although we, the 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 does the building confidence report recommend project managers be registered? Might yeah, I can't remember. Might do. They might have missed them. Mm. But the the national registration framework, which the ABCB are working on, is looking at project managers. Registration. Okay. And I believe our builder's registration discussion paper, which should be coming out in the next two ma- few months, yeah. will also be considering 
the role, the right. possibility of registering project managers and owners' representatives. That would be a big one. Mm. I mean, that's another topic in itself. I could yes. go on for hours on that. I think I've gone through my notes. This has been really good. I appreciate your time on this. Inspections is a big one. It's worth mentioning. Did we talk through that? Yeah, mm. inspections. Yeah, go. Mandatory inspections for all construction work. Uh, definitely. Inspection yeah. points to be notified. So when I moved here in 2008, every job, sign off. We had to be there every few weeks. We had to do, you know, I had, you have to be there to witness everything so that you can see and sign off and close the loop with what's been documented. So yeah. you're held accountable mm -hmm. for your work. Yeah. I got an, I mean, I had a guy talking to me the other day about he lost a job, a mechanical job to another contractor because the builder said he's, and they do this all the time. They say, oh, here's the price. I want you to beat it. So he goes yes. down, he beats it. Um, and this contractor I know is very reputable. He does things the right way. He goes to this duct fabrication shop and he sees the name of the job that he lost to the other guy. And the design documentation shows, you know, 75 mil insulation duct. Um, my contact, he's good. He, he looks after the consultant, makes sure that he does the right thing. He'd called the consultant to say, just letting you know that your contractor has gone in with 50 mil duct. And then the consultant had to say, look, I'm not engaged for construction admin. My design is drawn, it's documented, it's certified, it's all correct, but I can't do anything about it. So that document goes up and gets installed and no one's the wiser. So that that's where that contractor went low to win it. He took a chance and he got the job. Mm -hmm. So that's one little, it's just duct work. I mean, but mm -hmm. try to think of that kind of methodology used across an entire building yeah. on panel material or, you know, it could be anything. Anything can be shortcutted, and it's when it becomes a structural failure or like a, a life and death thing. That's when it becomes a problem. Yeah. But all these little, little shortcuts are going to add up. Yeah. But it's also not fair from an economic standpoint for having people stealing jobs like that. That's unethical. Yes. Right. Yeah. So. And we, we are, as far as I'm aware, currently the only state in the country that doesn't have, um, I mean, we have minimal fire mandatory inspections about there, there are yes. I think eight um, where applicable you can yes, well but, but beyond that that's it um, and so we have um, by far the, the lowest level of inspections um, than any, any state or in fact any comparable country or state and you had that, that I know I mean, New Zealand has an inspection regime UK France every state that I've managed to look at in America everywhere yeah. everywhere so it's um, it's a, a significant anomaly that we don't have them um, apart from as I say those eight five um, inspections this is what's led to the DNC this, this element yeah because it's I don't see it I don't know I'm not accountable but then I, I saw in here two reforms that will result in highest cost increases are third party reviews and inspections yeah I don't know how that those figures came about 0.8%, 33.5 million. I would argue that if it's included, it actually would reduce cost. Because cost and yes. value are some, like I said, mm. that's 50 mil versus 75. You don't realize it's been devalued. Mm. Mm. Yes. Yeah, but that's well, very hard to track that. One of my favorite feedback comments that we received was in relation to, to the increased documentation requirements, we, we asked if it would increase costs and if people had any idea how much it would increase costs by. Okay. And somebody said, 
it will not increase costs. Doing it badly just moves the cost further down. That's it. <laughs> it moves it to the public. They get, mm. get lesser quality product. Yes. That doesn't last as long and it's unsustainable. Yeah. Mm. But this is, we told it, talked about this as well. It's economics. It's, it became this theme of if I get a fee request for a job, I might put in a fee for 10 grand. The job is not, it's 30% is the rule of thumb for a construction admin to see it through. So 70% mm. of effort and professionalism and then to get to the completion. My mentor said this, it's not done until it's done. That 30% is so key for a number of things. There's always things that happen on the fly. You need to track the contractor, make sure they're doing it the right way. The engineer also learning on the job. The young engineers coming up seeing that, oh, I can improve the way I design. That, that loop has been kind of taken out. So that accountability to the engineer is, is kind of gone. So this generation of engineers has lost a lot of skills. Mm. Because the builders just covering things up and like, oh no, we'll fix it. We'll do this. We'll do that. So, yeah, I I don't. I think it actually would reduce cost, but okay. it's hard to. Yeah, it's hard. That's just my. Yes. Ex- yeah. You couldn't mm. put a number to it. Mm. Yes. It would definitely reduce the level of stress. On the whole, any initial cost increase would be outweighed by by benefits over the life of the building for all of the reforms that we're proposing. Yeah. Yeah. And the cost, these additional costs are minor. And I always say that construction admin, it's almost an insurance for the, it's not, don't think about just the time and the cost. It's an insurance for you mm. to make sure everything's being looked after. And yeah. you say, let's give the builder all the keys. Just, I trust him. They know what they're doing. Mm. That's great. So building manual, what is digital manual? That's a good one to be provided to owners at completion of building work. Because there is a, there's jobs where the archives are lost, and is that the theme behind that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Information's hard to come by and chase up. Yeah. Yeah. Maintenance issues and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And we have the technology to do so, to get yeah. it get it in the cloud. That's a brilliant one. So a lot of the a lot of the stuff we're doing, or we put out at a state level, are being um, looked at at a national level. Okay, and that there may well be model provisions or model requirements um, developed at a national level that we would then tap into. Um, so we'll see how that plays out as well. But so there's yeah. there's, there's state momentum, there's national momentum, yeah, um, and I think there's actually industry momentum as well towards it. So we're okay. hoping we'll get a good chunk of this up and running. But we'll. Uh, a lot of times with policy, it's trial and error. And obviously, we talked about 2012. It, mm. it takes years before you see the outlay of, of what happens. Yeah. Yes. And even with the new policies, like there's so much thought put into it. Don't really know how it's all going to shake out. Um, what was this page here I was looking at earlier? <clears throat> Again, I just throw ideas out. Is there any way that you can get a, um, like an incubator, a trial, a developer that comes to you saying, we will trial this method? for some incentive to actually give some feedback running it through the system. That would be, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, I don't but it would have to be voluntary. It would have to be voluntary, yeah. yeah. And, um, and then um, you can get, because that's, you only learn by doing. Yeah. Right? That's the, the trick. Yes. I mean, obviously doing that would throw our timelines out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah.
Thanks for listening to the Business of Buildings podcast. Thanks to Elizabeth and Dan for sharing their great insights into the proposed reforms for the approval processes in building design and construction for Western Australia. Uh, We look forward to sharing more perspectives and knowledge in future episodes. Stay tuned.